With the turn of each page, words spill out. Teaching, instructing, challenging. The words arrange, gather, and speak. They become etched into our reality. Faith turns into action until it becomes not only a part of our lives, but a new way to live altogether. Good morning. We're so glad uh, you're here. If you call Rockbrook your church home, we're glad you're here. And especially uh, if you're visiting with us and you know someone uh, uh, promised you lunch or, or told you that you meet someone cute. Uh, whatever it took, we're just glad you're here with us uh, this morning. My name is Zach, and uh, my wife and I, we lead a, a small group here, and I volunteer here on our announcement team. And uh, I love leading a small group and working with the announcement team because I love to help point people uh, in a direction that will change their lives. And that's uh, my story. I grew up in church and then walked away from the church in high school and uh, really made a mess of my life. And so you can say that I've got a kind of a, a colorful past. Uh, but when that didn't uh, work out for me, I came back here to Rockbrook and, and just got, got plugged in, got involved in, in a small group and serving in ministry and really just trying to follow Jesus. And it completely changed the direction of my life for the better. Um, and so I love belonging to a church family that changes lives. And that's what the book of James uh, is all about. It's about life change. We're in part six of a nine-week series on the book of James. The book of James is actually a letter uh, written by the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, see, James didn't believe in Jesus until after he was uh, crucified and resurrected. But then James became a follower of Jesus uh, because why, uh, if your brother you know, died and then came back to life, why wouldn't you follow him? And so uh, he became a leader in this new Christian movement, and he wrote a letter to some Christians in the first century. And so they read it, and they copied the letter and spread the copies around. And the more that people read it, the more they realized that it was part of the Word of God. And so they put it in our New Testament, and that's how we have it in front of us today. But in James chapter 3, where we're going to be today, James talks about wisdom. In fact, if you look uh, in your Bible, there might be a division titled Wisdom from Above, or, or two kinds of wisdom or something like that, because James is talking about wisdom here. Um, and so here are just a few observations uh, about wisdom. The first thing uh, about wisdom is you can't unmake an unwise decision. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down. If you're not taking notes, uh, go ahead and write that down. Um, you can't unmake an unwise decision. In fact, how many of you, and don't, don't raise your hands here, but how many of you, uh, you can look uh, back to a time in your life and you just think, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I bet that if we think, if we look back to some of our deepest regrets and some of our most embarrassing moments, I bet that we wish we could just go back there and unmake that unwise decision. You could have avoided uh, unnecessary pain. You may have avoided unnecessary stress and wasted time uh, and trouble and tears. Uh, you know, you could have avoided that tragic weekend or you could have skipped that season of life that you're never actually going to tell uh, your kids about. Maybe you would have paid attention in Spanish or you would have undated that person your parents told you uh, not to date. Maybe you wouldn't have made that financial blunder or bought that car or signed that lease. But the thing is, once you make an unwise decision, you can't unmake it. Uh, but the great news is that we don't have to keep being unwise. We can all start being wise today. You can't retake that semester of college, but you can, you can do better in the next one. You can't undo that relationship, or you, but you can stop 
uh, dating the wrong people now, or you can do better in your marriage now. You can't unbuy that car or undo that financial decision, but you can sell all that stuff you don't need and get out of debt now. And so, I don't know, maybe you have uh, made some foolish decisions in the past, and so you think it's too late for you, but why would we let the fact that maybe we've done some dumb stuff in the past keep us from being wise in the future? Okay, that's like not eating the second half of a pizza because you dropped the first half on the ground. Uh, I'm just saying. Um, that makes sense. But we can all start being wise today. I mean, this is great news. Hey, if you're young, you've got the rest of your life to be wise. And if you're old, you've got the rest of your life to be wise. Because uh, it's never too early to seek wisdom and it's never too late to seek wisdom. And if, if you're young, you get to get this right the first time. You don't have to learn from your own mistakes. You can learn from others' uh, mistakes. Wisdom is always a good idea. It's always a good idea because wisdom improves the quality of your life. It saves you from wasting your time. Uh, it saves you from uh, your money. And oftentimes, it saves you a lot of regret. Another thing about wisdom, uh, wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is more than knowledge. And, and you know this. I'm not telling you anything new. We all know someone who's really, really smart and really, really dumb at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, the, they may uh, know a lot of things. You know, they went to college, and they can tell you all these crazy theories about uh, whatever, but then they go off and make really stupid decisions. It's because wisdom is more than knowledge. It's more than information. It's more than understanding. Uh, before I started seminary, I studied philosophy at UMKC, and there's some pretty good Christian philosophers out there, and there's some pretty bad ones too, and then there's you know, philosophers who, who don't believe in a God, and they're just trying their best uh, to make sense of the world. But I studied philosophy for some uh, limited time, and this is kind of the best uh, definition for philosophy that I can come up with. Philosophy is worrying too much about stuff that won't ever change your life and that you should probably just take for granted anyway. Uh, but... No, I mean, uh, it did. Studying philosophy, it helped me to, to think more clearly and it helped me to see how other people see the world, but it, it didn't make me more wise, right? Like I didn't graduate from college and think, man, I've got this whole uh, wisdom thing down. What's the next step? And, and philosophy is supposed to be the love of wisdom, the study uh, of wisdom. But I mean, uh, biblical wisdom is something special. You can learn and you can get educated and that's good and you should do that, but that doesn't guarantee that you have wisdom or that you'll act wisely. And that's James' point here in chapter 3, that wisdom is tricky and it's not always obvious when you have it and you can spend a long time looking for it in the wrong place. And so I want to take us into this text. It's so uh, rich, it's so insightful, and it's so uh, painfully clear. So uh, the first part of chapter 3, James talks about the tongue. We went over that last week. And in the second half uh, of chapter 3, he talks about wisdom, but right in the middle, he creates a little word picture for us, and he uses this word picture to explain the craziness of the tongue, and then takes the, this word picture to help us understand how to view wisdom. And, and this simple little word picture can help unlock the mystery of wisdom for us. It's going to tell us what wisdom looks like and how you can know if you have it. He takes something really, really deep and really, really profound, and he's like, let me simplify this for you. So James is talking about uh, the tongue in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and he paints this, this picture for us. He's talking about the tongue, and he's like, the tongue, it, it's wild, and sometimes uh, it's a nasty little thing. He says that out of the same mouth, we can praise God, and then we can turn around and curse others, and he says it shouldn't be like this. It doesn't make any sense, and here's why. 
listen, this is what I want you to see. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? What? I mean, come on, that's it. But no, this is good. Come on. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Well, no, a fig tree bears figs and a grapevine bears grapes. So what's he saying? Some of you, you're already a step ahead of me on this. What he's saying is that the root of a tree determines the fruit of a tree. I mean, you guys get this. This makes uh, sense. An apple tree makes apples. Orange trees make oranges. Tomato plants make uh, tomatoes. And so imagine you're living in James culture where everything depends on farming and agriculture. I mean, this is such a clear word picture. And he takes this word picture and closes out the section on the tongue, but then takes the same word picture and transitions us into a discussion about wisdom. He's telling us what wisdom is, what it looks like, and how you can know if you have it. And so what I think he's saying to us is that when you think of wisdom, I want you to think of a tree. When you think of the concept of wisdom, I want you to think of a vine as a plant, as a tree. And what he's about to tell us is that just like any other tree, the wisdom tree has its own special kind of wisdom fruit. See, a wise tree produces wise fruit. A wise tree produces wise fruit. And in order to be a wise tree, you have to have a wise root. So if you want to know if you really have wisdom, then all you got to do is look at your fruit. So this is what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Okay, so you think you're wise, great. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, if you're wise, you don't have to tell me about it. If you're really that wise, you don't have to convince me that you are. I can just see it. So what James is saying is that the proof of wisdom is wise behavior. The proof of wisdom is wise behavior. Now, I know that's pretty obvious, but some of us just need to hear that. Uh, wisdom is more than what you know, but it's how you live. You know, if someone tries to convince you uh, that they're wise and their life is just a total wreck, you don't believe them. If you're wise, you don't have to tell people that you are. And if you're not, you can't convince people that you are. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The fruit of wisdom is wise behavior. I don't need to prove it. My behavior will prove it. But then James, he, he takes a turn and he begins to describe a different kind of wisdom. And he, he starts with the word, uh, but, and I don't know how you feel uh, about writing in your Bibles. I don't know if you're brave enough for that, but I, I circle all the buts in my Bible because the but lets me know that the writer is making a contrast. And so he says, but in contrast to the wisdom that produces wise behavior, if you harbor a bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. In other words, if you're full of envy and selfish ambition, don't boast about it and pretend that you're actually wise. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. This isn't wisdom from heaven. This is something uh, totally different. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, uh, demonic. That's uh, pretty nasty. Don't be that. Don't do that. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, listen, listen, look up here. Don't miss this. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. I mean, this is, this is a cause-effect relationship. If there is envy and selfish ambition, then disorder and evil are just naturally going to follow. 
And regardless of the degrees you earned or the work experience you have or, or the deals you've closed on or the documentaries you've watched or the common sense that you think you might have, if your life is marked by chaos and conflict, then you should seriously question whether you have wisdom. Because the fruit, the natural result of false wisdom is chaos and conflict. And where there's a fruit, there's a root. And the root of false wisdom is pride. The root, the cause, the source of this earthly, sensual wisdom, which leads to all this chaos and conflict, uh, is envy and selfish ambition. Well, that's just pride. And so if you think you're wise, but your life is full uh, of disorder and evil and chaos, then you might not could be wise. And I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes, but like if your finances are out of whack because uh, envy and ambition have taken root inside of you and they're influencing you to buy more than you can afford and, and there's no breathing room in your budget, then you might be acting out of false wisdom. Because that's the world's wisdom, right? Buy more stuff and you get more happy. But we all know that's not true. Or if you're really uh, educated, but your attitude towards people is that you're always the smartest person uh, in the room, and so you find that you have a judgmental thought here or a little bit of gossip uh, there, and so your relationships and your friendships are strained because your prideful intelligence pushes people away, and so you're always at odds with everyone, then you might be acting out of false wisdom. Or maybe you feel like you've got a little bit of common sense, and it seems like everyone else uh, has lost theirs, but if you're constantly frustrated that no one else sees the world the way that you do, then you might be acting out of false wisdom. Because all this conflict and chaos and evil thoughts are just the natural overflow of envy, ambition, and pride. And even if you are intelligent, and even if you do have common sense, that's not really the wise kind of life. But then James moves on. He says, but, another contrast here, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, and peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now that sounds uh, pretty good. Write this down. The fruit of true wisdom is peace and compassion. Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, merciful, impartial, sincere. These all boil down to peace and compassion. And that's what we want. That's what we want to characterize our lives. Peace and compassion. Peace in our, in our finances. Peace, compassion in our friendships, uh, in our relationships. But the problem is that we still got this ugly pride thing that keeps stepping in the way, and we want a peaceful, compassionate life, but pride gets in our way, and we say things we didn't want to say, and we do things that don't lead us to peace, but lead us to more chaos and conflict instead, and to more financial uh, stress and regret and strain relationships, because until we deal with our pride problem, we will never have true wisdom, and we won't ever find peace. It's like when your parents told you, uh, to go out in the yard and pull the weeds out of the yard or out of the garden. It, it didn't work to just, you know, pluck the, the leaves off the surface. No, they just grow back. You had to grab it down deep and, and yank it out from the root. And that's what we got to do with pride. We got to yank it out and replace it with something better. And that makes 
sense. If our root is producing bad fruit, then we got to get a different root. And so verse 17 says that the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive. This is, this is another cause-effect relationship. If you are, first of all, pure, then peace and compassion will follow. Because the root of true wisdom, the cause of true wisdom, the cause, the source of peace and compassion is purity. See, you can have wise fruit, but you got to get a pure root. You got to remove the pride and replace it with purity. I don't know if you heard uh, last week's message. Uh, You should listen to it online, but this is still kind of the same idea because this is a big idea for James. If you first get pure, then your words and, and your actions will follow because if you don't have a pure root, don't count on wise fruit. We got to rip out pride and replace it with purity and a wise, peaceful life will follow. But notice where this battle takes place. Verse 14 says that if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, where? In your hearts. See, this is a heart issue. This isn't a surface level problem. Pride takes place in the deepest part of our hearts. And as we know, heart issues usually don't come with some kind of quick fix. It takes drastic measures. Sometimes it takes open heart surgery. So if your life or maybe just your your thoughts are clouded by chaos, then you might have a pride problem buried deep inside your heart. And I'm not trying to step on, on anyone's toes, but like if I am stepping on your toes, then I'm stepping on my own toes because I struggle with this as well. I mean, I want to do well. I want to be liked. I want to stand out. I want to be good uh, at what I do. And honestly, for all of us, we've got a piece of this inside of us. But if we're not careful, and if the number one thing operating in your heart is pride and envy and self-serving ambition, then your words and your actions will always reflect a sort of chaos and conflict with others. Or I don't know, maybe you are one of those uh, rare individuals who don't actually care what anyone else thinks, and you never uh, do or say anything to make people think that you're smart or you're funny or you're successful. But for the rest of us who did come into this world uh, with a pride problem, spiritually uh, depraved and with the desire for self-advancement, and who will most likely struggle with this in some form for the rest of our lives, then for us, we need some sort of solution to this problem. See, we're all in the same boat here. We all struggle with pride. And sure, maybe it looks different for you than it does uh, for me, uh, but we've all been born into this world with a spiritually dead heart. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 says that, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and that there was nothing we could do to get ourselves alive. And that's why in the end, all the uh, wisdom you can find here on earth, all the education and self-help remedies and self-improvement will never lead to anything but more chaos and conflict in our relationships with one another, with ourselves, and even worse, it leaves us in chaos and conflict with God. And so I don't know about you, but I need some kind of solution, some kind of open heart surgery for my broken, prideful heart, a solution that isn't earthly, isn't natural, isn't sensual, and a solution that doesn't come from inside of me, because anything I could ever come up with on my own will always leave me more of a mess than I was before. But I I'm so glad that God didn't leave me to fix my own mess. So verse 17 says that the wisdom that comes from where? From heaven. 
See, wisdom comes from God. It's not something we got to manufacture on our own. He didn't leave us to clean up our own mess. And the wisdom that comes from heaven, it doesn't stay in heaven. It came down to us. He didn't send us some kind of self-help manual to teach us how to fix our pride and make ourselves pure. He didn't send us an anatomy textbook telling us how to do open heart surgery on our own prideful hearts. No, God sent his son. He became a human being, lived a perfect life, died for your sin, died for my sin, so if we would just trust him, he'd heal our broken hearts, he'd completely forgive us of our sins, and we could follow him into eternal life. A better life, a better life in the future forever, but a better life here today, now. A life of wisdom, a life of peace and compassion, a life of rest and power and freedom from the false wisdom that leads us to chaos. In Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, uh, he, tells a, he records a parable that Jesus uh, told, and I'll, I'll, close, I'll close with this. Jesus tells a story to illustrate a point. And if you grew up in church, some of you know this story. Uh, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yes, it, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. So if you want a pure heart, you want a solution to pride and false wisdom, just get closer to Jesus. You want more wisdom, you want a life characterized by peace and compassion, then just get closer to Jesus. And that's why if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you should consider it because Jesus will give you wisdom. And sure, Christians, we believe some pretty Uh, Hard to believe stuff. You know, a guy died for our sins, uh, rose from the dead, and that's pretty hard to believe. But even if you don't believe that yet, you should consider following Jesus because following Jesus makes your life better and he makes you better at life. The solution to pride is purity. The source of purity is Jesus. And the result of purity is wisdom, peace, compassion. And when you get a hold of this fruit root concept it will change your life you don't have to fix your chaos you can't fix it and you don't have to fix your mess you can invite Jesus into your mess and allow him to fix it through you and it may take some time fruit doesn't grow overnight wisdom doesn't come overnight we're all still learning but you don't You don't ever see a tree struggling to produce fruit. The tree just stays connected to the source of light. And the fruit just takes care of itself.
And that's why Rockbrook does what it does. We're not trying to pump you full of knowledge. We're trying to point you to the one who embodies wisdom. And we're trying to instill in you the habits and a lifestyle that will bring you closer to him. Colossians chapter 3 describes this for us. Paul, the writer of Colossians, he says, my goal, our goal at Rockbrook, is that they, that you, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I don't know where this message lands with you. Maybe you've been wise, you've been following Jesus uh, faithfully, and you just need to pass it on to others. You know, pass it on, uh, start a small group, or or step up into that leadership position that you've been avoiding. Um, I don't know, or or maybe you're, you're a Christian, but you've kind of been sitting on the sidelines. Maybe you believe in Jesus, but you're not connected to him as the source of life. We're starting a new round of growth track events uh, next weekend, and, and maybe you've been avoiding it, but it's time for you just to jump in. Just allow the events to teach you uh, how to practically follow Jesus by belonging uh, to a church family uh, through Bible reading and prayer, learning how to walk in the Spirit. Or maybe you need to purify your heart through actively serving others and being a part uh, of the dream team. Maybe you're new to this whole uh, Christianity thing. You're, you're thinking about trusting in Jesus, and you just need someone uh, to talk to you about it. I'd love to talk to you about it afterwards. Come find me after the service and, and I'll talk you into it. <laughs> or maybe your next step is just come back next week. That's fine. Maybe for you, just in the next three seconds, you just need to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I've been rejecting you. I've been running from you, but I know you died for me. I know you rose again. I'm sorry I created a mess. Please help me to fix my mess. Maybe you just need to say that right now in your heart. But come on, come on. Imagine if if we were a group of people who didn't operate out of pride. Imagine if the church, the body of Christ, was a group of people who stayed connected to Jesus all seven days of the week. And we lived a life of true wisdom, of peace and compassion. If we allowed Jesus to love others through us, imagine the difference it can make in our lives, in our workplace, in our families, and in our community. Let's pray together. God, this... uh, This sermon's a lot easier to preach than it is to do. We all struggle with pride to some extent. It's so easy to see in others and so hard to see in the mirrors. Please just open our eyes to the hidden places of pride and just heal us, God. Thank you for giving us wisdom. Thank you for giving us wisdom through your son, Jesus Christ. Through his death for us, through his resurrection. Thank you for the freedom from the past that we can have through him. 
And thank you for the hope of the future. God, we love you so much. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.